0: Jenna, welcome to the Compete Everyday podcast.
1: Hi, thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. We've been connected on social media for quite some time. And as we get into today's conversation, I've got to ask what in the world is the eye of the storm mentality?
1: I love that you started off asking that because that's definitely something I want to explain. That's kind of our tagline is teaching the the eye of the storm mentality. And I also call it the clutch mentality. And it actually got the idea from the book by George Mumford, um, The Mindful Athlete, if you're familiar with that. And he talks about the importance of being able to respond from the eye of the storm, right? Rather than the chaos that's going on around us. And so having that calm inside us And not letting the external affect what's happening internally. And so when I talk about the eye of the storm mentality, it's having that mentality of, all right, there might be chaos around us, whether it's a pandemic, right? Or whether it's your performance and it's a high stakes, high pressure situation and loud fans, whatever it may be, how do you stay calm and be that eye of the storm?
0: I love it. Well, and, and for a lot of us, especially as we're listening to this, that Maybe we're not the athlete we used to be and and we've graduated past that. The eye of the storm mentality is incredibly crucial because a lot of times as we get older, we deal with as much anxiety and and worry as we did as an athlete. And and a lot of that is focusing on the storm and everything going on around us that's outside of our control than having that eye of storm mentality tell me a little bit where the mentality surfaces for you now, um, as a coach and, and really as an adult and a mom and, and everything else going on in life that is a little bit different than some of the athletes you deal with.
1: Yeah. Just for like myself personally, yeah. I like my experience every day.
0: Yeah. Just where, where you find yourself calling back to having that eye of the storm mentality, like where you're intentionally reminding yourself of it and pulling yourself back to it.
1: Well, um, I'm glad you brought that. I'm a mom. First time mom. I have uh, just turned 11 months yesterday, which is mind blowing. It's been almost a year. And I have many days where I feel like I'm in a hurricane and there is a mess all around me. Um, Crawling naked baby I'm chasing and just clothes everywhere, diapers everywhere. Right. It's just chaos. And I can easily get sucked up into that chaos and get really frazzled and stressed. And sometimes I do. And it's just a great reminder to notice it. So first and foremost, always being self-aware, noticing when you are starting to get sucked into the storm and then turning to something. I like to go to my breath because it's something that's always with you, something that's simple. You don't need any equipment and it's quick and it's effective. Just doing some deep breathing exercises, whether that's four square breathing, five finger count breathing, um, just you know focusing on the inhale and the exhale just to bring myself back to that eye of the storm.
0: So and, go ahead, finish that thought. Oh, I'm going so like, to like you
1: could be, you know, driving in traffic and getting really upset and irritated with the other drivers around you, or maybe a place to be. So, you know, these are not just for athletes and sports. They're definitely life skills.
0: Let me, okay. So I have another question we're going to go back to, but the one you just hit triggered one, another one. So you talked about being in traffic and pulling back in there. I was listening recently to an interview with Dr. Kevin Elko and, and he was reinforcing the importance of our responses. And a lot of times our attitude say traffic are related to the story, internal stories we're telling ourselves, because Absolutely. if we get irritated with people in traffic is a very big difference between giving them the middle finger and yelling at them for cutting you off and being like, Oh my gosh, I'm really concerned. I hope everything's okay. And, and those two stories we tell ourselves very much reflect how we respond to what attitude we have in that. How do we, along those lines, how do we reprogram or reteach ourselves what internal stories going on when we're in the midst of that storm?
1: I find it helpful to say it out loud. And I love that you threw that out there because I actually had this today where I was coming out of Starbucks. So a first time mom, Starbucks every day. And I'm coming out and I must've been driving too slow or something. And there was this car behind me. They passed me and it was like the parking lot I was coming up to the stop sign to take a left onto a busy road. And they flew by me and cut right in front of me. And they were also just taking that left. And at first the story I was telling myself was, Oh, you know, like how rude, you know, you almost hit me and my kid, like blaming them. Right. I was I've got the- a
0: baby on board sticker right here. Did oh, you not I'm- see it?
1: I do. And I was like, what is happening? And then I caught myself. So it's, it's really that self-awareness piece and it takes a lot of practice and it might take a lot of time. It's going to be different for each person. And like, so first I noticed myself getting upset. So I noticed the feeling and then, okay, why am I feeling this way? I'm talking through that. I'm feeling this way because this car did this and this. Okay. So they did that. What am I thinking now? Because of that, what's the story I'm telling myself? How am I responding it's really talking through that, being your own coach internally, and then being like, okay, I don't want to feel this way. I want to feel a different way. So how can I change that? And it goes with telling yourself a different story. And I actually did. I was like, you know what? Maybe they need to go somewhere. Maybe they're really late for something. Cause they went up and they had a stoplight. And then I kind of felt bad for them. I was like, oh, what if they really have to go somewhere? And now they just hit that stoplight and now they're really late and passing me didn't do anything. Um, and then it just, you know, changed the whole way I was feeling.
0: I love that. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And what I found interesting and really want to emphasize for the listeners is what you did, which is you kept Asking questions to yourself in that moment to not just be like, well, I'm angry, blah, blah, blah. You're like, why am I feeling this way? What am I doing about this? And so it creates not only that internal conversation, you just said coaching yourself probably helps raise our awareness uh, of self and and how we perceive the world, what stories are our default and how they might not be our desired ones as well. And so I appreciate you sharing that example with us. The other thing that we talked about offline that I think was pertinent to this and, and this eye of the storm mentality is storms create chaos. There are messes when they go through their path, there's always dirt, debris, there's things everywhere. Life as a mom is, probably a lot of chaos, and learning to be okay with some of that chaos. And I think for a lot of us as adults, a lot of us that were high achievers as athletes, maybe those that are still athletes, there's a level of perfectionism and having to have everything perfect either before we start or after the fact, putting ourselves into a negative internal dialogue because things weren't perfect versus looking at what we did, what progress has made, how we can improve how do you talk to your athletes about battling perfectionism so they can focus on getting better? Because I think that correlates to where we are as adults now, because a lot of us are still going through that same struggle that we went through at 14 with perfectionism.
1: Yeah. So I'm a very positive person and some people might find that very annoying. I've been told that. And I think it was Justin Sua, maybe it was one of his podcasts and I love it. They were saying, if you don't like hearing like positivity all the time, you know, like, Oh, be positive. Well, it's also effective. So instead of like positive thinking, it's think of it as it's effective thinking (laughs) as well. It's it's just going to be a little more effective than being the Debbie Downer and all the negative stuff.
0: So I want to ask you, I want to ask you on that note, sorry to, to jump in there. Where do you separate the positive optimistic thinking, talking attitude from the false reality, fake positivity conversation?
1: Yeah. I mean, it depends on the situation. Obviously if there's something that's like devastating that just happened. Uh, I'm going to turn to empathy. Like that sucks. I'm really sorry that happened to you. Like I would have been really frustrated too. There's no way to be like, okay, now let's, you know, let's like, how do you
0: deal that, with it internally? Uh, do, do you struggle sometimes of defaulting that way? Or, or do you take the more realistic, positive approach, that optimistic side?
1: I, well, depending on what it is, I might have, um, you know, like a 15 minute pity party. And I think that's fine. I think there are times we just need to be upset. We need to be that, that negative, you know, mindset just to and just like, not like what's happening to us right now. And that's okay to feel our feelings, whatever we need to feel, but we don't want to stay there. And so I think that's where I say it's more effective thinking. Like we don't need to be positive 24 seven. That's unrealistic. And knowing when is it time now to let those negative feelings go, that negative mindset go and start getting that more effective thinking. And it Do doesn't you set even- a
0: timer for that, like on your phone?
1: Um, no, for, for me, it depends on what it is and how long I guess I have. But I, I will say to like my athletes, if they're having a really hard time is like, depending, you know, again, if it's a soccer game, you don't have 15 minutes because you got to keep playing. So that's not going to be very long. So you don't have much time, or maybe you have half time. All right, you know, you have this much time and half halftime. You go back and you're done. Like it's over with. Now we need to, you know, start thinking about what we need to do next. And that's where I think when people say positive, I think people think it's like, oh, everything's fine. I'm so happy. It's so good. I don't look at it as that. That's why I like the term more effective thinking. It's, you know, what are you going to do about it um, instead of just like feeling bad for yourself like, you know, that more driven mindset, that motivated, inspiring mindset.
0: Yeah. No. And and that's, that's so key because I, that's the first time I've heard it as effective thinking. And I love that. I, I've heard productive, obviously Trevor and Wad's huge on neutral thinking, um, of, you know, assessing the situation more neutrally and, and obviously others talk about the productive side. And so I like the effective angle on it because a lot of times that internal self-talk if it's not negative, sometimes even the super positive isn't effective or helpful in that moment. So how do we work back toward that productive, that effective internal dialogue after we have that pity party assessing the situation and being able to move forward with that?
1: Yeah. And I didn't answer your your question though, about yeah. what do I do with the athletes then? Yeah. Uh, so like for an example, I also coach track and field. I'm a jumps coach at the long and triple jump. And one thing I try to do with my athletes is after they jump, I challenge them to think about something that went well in that jump, even if it was not a good jump on their part. And they're really upset with that jump. I still challenge them to think of something that went well, because there's something you did that went well that we can do again. Let's focus on that first instead of just throwing away the whole jump. And it was all bad because we didn't like the mark.
0: What is, what does sure. that do for us when we focus on that positive piece?
1: I think we can only think up one thing at a time. And so if they really have to think about something they did well, then they are, they have to give up or pass that thought away that they're stuck on. That's causing them to be so frustrated. They have to let that go. Even if it's just for a moment, it might come back, but it's still a really effective moment where they can let that go and really think about their jump, that process of it and think about, okay, I did this well. And let's talk about that. Okay. And then what happened? Like, what's one thing we can do better? That's what I ask them instead. And what's one thing we can improve on or what's one thing you can do better in the next one? And then they start thinking, okay, I can do this better. All right, how can we do that? Like, what is, what are you gonna focus on in your next jump? So for an example, let's say they don't get a jump they like. Well, a lot of the athletes, will, this is what they usually say. What went well? Nothing went well. That's usually what they say, because they're frustrated. That's yep. where their mind is stuck. And I don't want them jumping again like that. So I challenge them, we all do something well. Every jump has something we did well in it. Let's talk about it. Think about it, like go process that jump. then they think, okay, well, I got on the board. Yeah, you did. Or else it would have been a scratch, right? (laughs) And you would have been more upset. Yeah, you got on the board, right? That's, that's huge. What can you do better next time? Let's say it's a triple jumper. Oh, my, you know, second phase was pretty short. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And if, you know, you make that longer, your jump would be longer we're like, yeah, I would. Okay, so what do you need to focus on? What do you need to do to lengthen that second phase? Oh, I just need to get that knee up there. That's something you can do, right? Yeah. Okay, go do it. And then they're going that second jump with a completely different mindset than when they were so frustrated. So it just kind of helps them work through their frustration. They still feel it. They still have it there, but now they're more focused on something for their next jump to improve.
0: So I want to swing the pendulum all the other direction. And we, we just talked about, Dealing with perfectionism more than anything, dealing with when things don't go their way exactly the way they want. On the flip side of that, how do we or what's our process for pulling people back into the moment when things go incredibly well and they're overly cocky about what they do well, and what they did well, that that can be detrimental in their next attempt and their next go versus the still confidence that I've done this, I can do it again and I'm about to execute there's almost like a foot off the gas sometimes with that. So when the pendulum swings the other way, how do we pull them back on that angle? Is it the same process?
1: I think it, it comes down to knowing your athletes and what's going to work best for them. Some athletes just need to kind of step away. I have some athletes that if they stick around the event too long and there's some downtime before they have to perform again. And especially either if they're getting frustrated, they're getting nervous or they're getting a big head. Sometimes, Hey, just go step away from the track or the runway, like go, go call your parents or a friend or go listen to some music. Just get your mind off of something besides performing and competing, kind of bring them back down and then they can come back and refocus on everything. So that works for some athletes. Otherwise I really like to use energy zones. And this comes from the individual zone of optimal functioning by Hannon. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, not, but I'm going to find it and
0: link to it in the show notes now.
1: Yeah. So I, eyes off for short, instead of okay. individual zone of optimal functioning, it's, it's a mouthful and it's an inverted view. And ultimately it states that um, our performance, we have like a range or a number, like one through 10, if you can think about that as the X axis. And we all perform our, our best at a certain number or a certain range of numbers. So I think about it when I was a 400 runner, I would perform at my best when I was probably about a three. And the number means like your arousal level or your energy zone. Like where does your energy and arousal level need to be? The shorter the number, like the smaller the number, the more calm you need to be. Zero could be like you're like sleeping and then all the way up to like a 10 or the higher end is you know, you're know you super jazzed, pumped, you're just ready to go. So where do you need to be? And that's really important to know when you're competing of where you need to be. And also how do you know when you're not where you need to be and what do you need to do to get yourself back to that zone?
0: And that's, um, I was going to say that, that should speak to everyone listening because if we played sports, we all had those games where we were either way too amped mm -hmm. or not enough. And I can even immediately recall the games where I wasn't as amped as I needed to be in that moment and didn't know why and didn't know how. And, and we have the same, obviously, as adults, you walk into a sales presentation, you're giving a, a talk to your team, anything like that. You get too much coffee and you're too excited. It's not going to go as well, as well as if you're kind of in a zombie state. And so talk to us a little bit about understanding some of those. Obviously, the book's going to dive into it. We'll link to it. But kind of initially, how do we start to figure that out? Is it experimental? Like we just start testing it?
1: Well, a lot of people will know, but they might not realize it. And so when I'm working with athletes and teams on this concept and trying to figure out their zone, I first just have them use some imagery and we just reflect on a really great performance they had, whatever that may be. And I just have them think about how did they prepare for that event or that performance? How was their body feeling? What emotions were going on? What thoughts were we having? Like, where was our mindset at? And then thinking about like how we how we felt and were thinking about during that performance, what kind of energy did we have, and then thinking about too at the end of the performance, kind of where were we at, and then thinking about all of that, and then giving them a couple minutes to jot down some things that came to mind with what that experience was like for them, trying to reflect on how they felt before, during, and after. And, and I did
0: doing that immediately after.
1: Yes. So I have them open their eyes and I say, okay, jot a few things down. You know, what, how are you feeling? How did you prepare? How did your body feel? What was your mind doing motions, all of that. And then I have them do the same reflection piece on a performance that did not go very well. We don't like to think about these. We do not like to remember these, but I encourage them to try to bring this back up because we learn a lot from failure and mistakes. And I have them reflect on, you know, what was the performance? How did they prepare? Same thing, right? How did it feel? How would their body feel? What emotions? Where was their mind at? All of that. And again, jot it down. And then after they can start kind of comparing, sometimes they see right away, like, oh yeah, they were like, it could have just been in how they prepared. And, or, you know, what they were thinking about during there's certain things that stand out. And then I talk about the individual zone of optimal functioning and I, you know, write on the board or have a piece of paper with the inverted view. And I talk about how we can have one number. It could be like a range. And the further away we get on either end too high or too low, right? The worse our performance is going to get. And it's also really important to remember, like, let's say if I need to be at a four, for example, but I'm feeling like a five or a three, I could still perform well. I think sometimes we forget we need to feel great to perform great. And we can feel a little away from it. We can still get the job done. But if we get really far away, right, that's when we're like, okay, danger zone. But we can still do something about it to get ourselves back where we need to be instead of just thinking it's a wash. So once I have them think about their zone, I have them write it down. If it's a team, I try to do a big sheet of it and they can all come up and write like their initials of where they are. So then the coach can see and the teammates can see. I think that's really important to know where your team needs to be. So you can help each other out to get well in
0: to- and a, and a teammate that sees somebody that doesn't look as excited as they are, is going to assume they're not ready. Yeah. If they don't understand this is where they need to be to, to excel.
1: Yeah. If you need to be calm, Jake, and I need to be like, I'm an eight and you're a two. I shouldn't probably be by you when we're warming up, right? I'll be like, yeah, let's go Jake. And you're going to be like, okay, you're getting me out of my zone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not helping you. I'm hurting you. Um, so just knowing that's important. So I have them right their zone. And then we actually do some exercises. I, I pick usually three um, to rev up and we practice them. And we kind of think about how does our body feel now that we've done it. And usually, you know, our heart's racing a little bit more. Um, you're breathing a little bit heavier. You feel a little more energetic, And then we do three different things that we can do to rub down if we're too high. And then we talk about how we feel when we're a little bit calmer, you know, our mindset is, you know, where it needs to be. Um, Those anxious thoughts maybe are gone. And then I have them come up with two to three things and they have them write it down that they can turn to when they need it. Because in the moment when we need it, we're not going to remember. So prepping that ahead of time is important.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely want to echo that the mental skills we want, we don't just flip a switch and magically have, we have to put in the work for it. And I've echoed it on the show so much is life returns to more normal after COVID. Uh, everybody has two options, you are going to go back to the way things were and hope nothing like this ever happens again, or for those that really got hit hard you're going to understand that life is going to do something again, and you're going to start investing in building stronger mental skills and resilience and all of these pieces that will help you better manage whatever inevitably happens in the future. And so you echoing, like we can't just immediately call on it unless we've done the work to prepare it is so key to everyone listening, regardless of your age. And so I, I wanted to heavily emphasize that point. Jenna, uh, tell me a little bit about, the mental clutch and, and some of the work that you're doing right now with athletes and really the the best type of audience for you, the type of people that you are working with.
1: Yeah. So I am based out of Wisconsin, a small town called Prairie Du Sac. It's in between Wisconsin Dells and Madison. And I work with teams and athletes and coaches on the mental side of sport. Also, you know, team building skills, uh, with team co- team cohesion, building team culture. Uh, leadership and the coaches workshop of how to, to, to connect before coaching is essentially what I, when I call the, the importance of knowing your team and connecting. Um, and, and I want
0: to hit, I want to hit on something right there because we've talked about it here on the show, whether you're a coach in sports, a coach in the business world, like, unless you get to someone's heart, you can't get to their head unless they know how much you care. They don't really care how much, you know? And so I love
1: exactly that
0: program.
1: Yes, it is very important. It works. Yes, you know, bigger than just sports for sure. And also, I mean, I'm not just to sports, you know, I also, um, you know, theater, the arts, uh, you know, business world. And like we were talking about your zone, I mean, like if you're nervous about a test coming up or a presentation and you need to know what zone you need to be at to perform at your best, it's they, these mental skills work in every aspect. So, you know, every day is a performance. Uh, that's and it's my specialty is sport and performance psychology.
0: I love it. I love it. Jenna, where can people find out more and get connected with you?
1: So I am on social media. Uh, it's the mental clutch for my Instagram and for my Twitter. I have a Facebook page, the mental clutch, um, LinkedIn. I um, mean, you can also check out my website at www.thementalclutch.org. You can send me an email as well, or message me in any of the social media platforms. And I would love to hear from you and, and talk sports psych. Like.
0: Love it. So anyone listening, if you want to get connected, maybe you're a parent and thinking this is what my kid needs. You know how to get connected or reach out. We've included all of her links in the show notes so you can immediately get connected there um, or in everything she just shared. Jenna, thank you incredibly for hanging out with us today and investing some time to help us better compete every day.
1: Yes. Thank you as well. I think your, your podcast is awesome. You're doing great work.